Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR. IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Zaki. And welcome to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by, of course, the legendary, the greatest drag strip in the world. It's Great Lakes Dragway. Make sure to check out GreatLakesDragway.com for your opportunity to get the 2019 season pass. Spring is right around the corner, and you want to make sure you get to Great Lakes Dragway when the racing starts, which will be shortly. So looking forward to that. And also like to thank David Hobbs Honda for their support. Jeff Orlowski joining me in studio. Hello. What are we going to talk about this week? Oh, not much has happened. This is, you know, qualifying is fan is phenomenal. It's fantastic. NASCAR fixed qualifying. Uh, <laughs> everything is everything is great. I, you know, I it, it it's I was so mad last night. I was angry. Well, here let, let's let's run the scenario. So I'm watching this fiasco, which is NASCAR qualifying, and. In fact, let me. Well, let, the first of all, I got to look up something here for you. Uh, Dennis Michelson, who will be joining us in the next half hour, we'll be chatting some more NASCAR with him. And uh, well, we had to put one of ours on the uh, injury list. Jeff. Uh huh. David Land. Uh, yeah, he's on the ten day. Uh, now they call it the injury list. Okay. So we we had to bring in. I wouldn't. I don't want really say off from the minors because he's major league in my in in my. You know, in my mind, but they, uh, Tony Dezina will be sitting in for David Land today. Nice, yeah. Tony. Haven't yeah. talked to him in a long time. It's, it's, and Tony, of course, is one of our favorite guests. And you know, they, well, where where has been Tony? Tony is um, uh, big. Uh, should I say big time? I mean, big time just left, but oh yeah, uh, he's the other big time. No, Tony. Tony does a lot of traveling with the series he works with now. And uh, as a is is a well deserved uh, position, position of power <laughs> at an at an unnamed uh, large OEM manufacturer, if you want to say. So uh, yeah, Tony Tony's uh, doing pretty good, and we 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 thank uh, thank him for coming on the show today, sitting in for David Land. Should be we'll be talking some IMSA and IndyCar in the. Uh, first part of the second hour and then uh, eddie lapine will be talking to us about colton herda and george steinbrenner the fourth in indycar racing yeah that was a huge win last week looking forward to that and then also our picks but uh did you walk me through qualifying from a personal experience well i it was it was a disaster um 
you know, you had the whole thing from where uh, Clint Boyer thought that he got squeezed on uh, on Pitt Road uh, by Ryan Newman, uh, and then we, which we have audio of his interview with Jamie Little after qualifying. We'll play that for you. We got NASCAR's sort of weak response on there. Um, you get the same thing where the guys are just, with the exception of Daniel Suarez, and a big tip of the cap to him. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think the one guy who really stepped up and gained a lot of fans, not saying I wasn't before, but definitely uh, somebody I'm like, yeah, good. Well, was and, da- it and, was, da- was Daniel Suarez. And the good thing is that, you know, he qualified fourth for the race. So did he hurt himself by going out solo and not waiting for the pack to go out? Maybe a little bit. But he's got a fast race car. Right. He made sure that he got his two laps in because the second lap was being, you know, was faster than the first. Sure. So he made sure that he got his two laps in, had a good qualifying effort, starts fourth, and, you know, kind of throws a big middle finger into all the guys that just sat there waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And then, you know, you get down to the finals uh, round for the poll. Uh, of qualifying, and they're all sitting there and waiting and waiting and waiting. It's the same crap we saw at Auto Club Speedway. And uh, Dennis Michelson posted a tweet um, from earlier this week in which we thought we were done with this. Uh, Bob Pockrass posted, uh, and then Dennis uh, retweeted it to me, NASCAR qualifying tweaks. Must post a lap time or start at the rear once you leave your pit stall. Can't stop on pit road. And then I and then I, I tune into qualifying yesterday, and what I see, they're allowing them to do this BS on pit road, but they got to leave that center lane. I'm going no. No, you stay in the pit stall. When you go, you go. When did this? They didn't change a damn thing. No, they didn't. And there were times when uh, when a car would go out and then two other guys would sit there and start to go towards the middle like they were going to go out on the track. They saw that nobody else went with, so then they backed up and parked it again and waited longer. It was just a complete and utter disaster. And we were texting back and forth during qualifying yesterday, and you said, how many people do you think are in the stands? If NASCAR is going to put on a crap show like they did yesterday, it is going to go down and down and down and down, and there will be no rock bottom until there's three people in the crowd because this is what they deserve with the show that they put on for qualifying yesterday. Truck race was was good. It was different, you know. Uh, But as far as qualifying, expecting anybody to show up to watch that hot mess, NASCAR, reap what, you, what, reap what you sow, because that was a disaster. Um, I Hopefully I can find it. They posted the response, and the responses from the fans on Twitter. Now, I, now granted, Twitter can be just a total show when it comes to, you know, discussions and whatnot. Oh, yeah. But the discussion... I mean, the vitriol towards NASCAR and qualifying and the anger was unparalleled. Uh You would see situations where NASCAR makes a bad decision and it would be a bunch of people against it, but some for if it favored a driver or there was some, you, you, you would see 
two sides of the coin. Some pros, some against. This was, I've never seen so much one after another. And it was discussed. Why am I watching this? Why? And I'll, I'll, I'm going to try and look it up here at the next break. And it was just, I, I was I was really, really surprised. And it's to a point now, and you know, it it's frustrating for us. I mean, it, I guess it's good radio. It gives us something to talk about. But, I mean, come on. We were just talking about this a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and it, 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 you're like, I thought they they changed this, and 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 everything. I mean, I, God bless Clint Boyer. Yeah, exactly. But, exactly. You know, I I tweeted out. You know, they needed they need a Dale Earnhardt scene. Clint Boyer is great. I respect him over everything, but unfortunately, at least the NASCAR apparently he's not Dale Senior. And in the past, if there was an issue, if NASCAR had issues with and the drivers were, didn't like something that was being done, you know what would happen? Dale Senior would go fishing with Bill France Jr. Right. And and they'd go out on the boat, chat, have some beers, and say and Dale would say, Okay, this is this is what I this is what the the opinions and the thoughts from the garage. Let's fix this. And you know what? It would get fixed. And people, it would move on. There was, now, there is such a disconnect. Now, a lot of this was being blamed on Brian France. Brian France, well, who's, without a doubt, is just, he he's not, he doesn't think in the best interest of NASCAR. I think a majority would think that way. Right. So Jim France, who's always had to respect and had in the past worked more on the road racing side, was kind of put in his his position. And he's the guy that's in the garage area in that. So this is what's kind of surprising to me where you had this situation. I figured with Jim France involved, this is going to get taken care of. I saw tweets last week. My understanding was these guys are going to line up on pit road. Boom, you go. Once you leave. You got to go. None of this stopping BS. What do we see? It was the same thing. Ah, if you plug, if you clog, if you clog the center line, you're going to get fined. What did we see? I clogged the center lane and nothing happened. Yeah. You know, okay, you said that, you know, uh, Dale Sr. used to be the one to get it done. What I was thinking yesterday when I was watching it was Jeff Gordon. And I think if Jeff Gordon would have sat up there in the booth and said, you know what, guys, why don't we just take a break a minute into the round of qualifying when everybody's sitting on their thumbs in their car? Let's just take a break because why are we wasting our time trying to fill time? Uh, We might as well make some money. And to sit there, and if Jeff Gordon would have taken that shot, I guarantee you it'd get fixed mm-hmm. a lot sooner than later. But this is NASCAR. So whatever the common sense way that you view to fix a problem, they're going to do the complete and total opposite. It should be fixed uh, now, today, tomorrow. It'll get fixed a month down the road. Well, you know, and I, I, I guess I was raised in a sport. I've been around the sport for a long time. I don't consider myself an old timer, but I guess some people think I am. 
And I've seen this song and dance before, and I've seen disconnect from sanctioning bodies. And there was a sanctioning body that was out there that was the number one sanctioning body in the country. Now that same sanctioning body is still around and is pretty much no more than just a regional series in Indiana, and that's USAC. And they were in charge of pretty much almost entirely everything. They had the Indianapolis 500. They had championship car racing. They had stock car racing, which was on par with NASCAR. They had sprint car racing, the best sprint car drivers in the world. They even had a burgeoning midget car series, four series, and they were a mano a mano. They could pretty much dictate whatever they wanted to do in the world of auto racing. And they frittered that away when you saw this disconnect and between them and the owners and everything else. And the, the people that were in charge, you know, unfortunately started to pass away and whatnot. The people that replaced them didn't have that same passion, didn't have the same understanding. And it, 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 it caused a rift in the sport, which happened in 1979. And then unfortunately those same issues started to, happened with that sanctioning body and they went away and it's it's been a wild ride for that series you know in its many you know with the with the different different uh sanctioning bodies that indycar racing has had and and how they destroyed a couple series and we've seen this in another series too with the scca where they had many state scca is 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 as an amazing track record of killing so many successful series. <laughs> they killed the Can-Am series. They basically killed the Formula 5000 series. You know, and all these iterations of successful series that they had, Trans-Am and whatnot, and it, it, it's, you know, you see this, and I'm not happy when I see this in the sport. And, you know, it's, I, I, I sound like a broken record song, Sometimes, well, you guys aren't real NASCAR. No, we are NASCAR fans. I grew up in this sport, watching Richard Petty, David Pearson, Bobby Allison, and all those smaller guys, too. The uh, Henley Grays, the Bill Champions, the uh, uh, Buddy Arringtons, and those guys. You know, those, I mean, that was NASCAR. And I understand times change in that, but it, it's just very frustrating when you see stuff that should be corrected. And it's not corrected. And there's this disconnect. And until they get this fixed, it's not going to get any better. And I don't know what. And and we'll, we're, when we come back from a break, we're going to play Clint Boyer and NASCAR's tepid response, which I think just threw more fire on the situation. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, you look at guys like Carl Edwards, it makes a lot of sense. I was out with some guys the other night. Hardcore racing guys, these are guys that have been in the series, whether driving, covering it, sanctioning bodies, you name it, uh, the other night. And we are talking about NASCAR, and everybody's shaking their head going, what is going on? We don't understand it. And these are guys that understand the business inside and out. And they can't even – It's they're, 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 their hands are literally up in the air going, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're trying to do. But it ain't working. It's making it worse. And when you see a guy like Eddie Gossage, who's probably one of the best in the business, who could, if he wanted to, could be working for any other team. He could be working for any pretty much professional team 
whether it's NFL, Major League Baseball, basketball, you name it, quality guy who started here at Miller Brewery many years ago and has always been one of the top guys and is an old, you know, old-time, old-stop promoter. I, I mean, he must have saw, he he must have been just blowing smoke out of his ears because this is this kind of stuff that drives him nuts. And to see those crowds dwindling and dwindling each year at Texas Speedway, which was one of the the diamonds on the on that series, the stands are always packed. Yep. I don't care if it was qualifying or what. And yeah, they had different ticket packages and all this, but. It's it's got to be so frustrating for somebody like Eddie Gossage to to see this, and you know I, I'd I'd be kind of curious. I mean, the conversations he I would like to see those conversations he had with those uh, NASCAR officials because he's not one to mince his words. Well, I hope they were uh, intense. I hope he didn't you know pull any punches because uh, they deserve everything they've got coming. Yeah. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to hear from Clint Boyer and uh, talk a little bit more on the fiasco that occurred yesterday at Texas Speedway. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. On 105.7 FM, The Fan. from Clint before they went out and he was talking about clogging up the middle. So you just talked to NASCAR. Mike Bugaravich talked to him. Well, what did they say? <laughs> Who the hell knows? <laughs> say whatever they want to say. I mean, the lesson was supposed to be learned in California when we made ourselves look like idiots out there. Unfortunately, we're standing here again in the same situation. Then you're reading through the rule book for you. You're literally reading the rule book to try to figure out the regulations they put in place for qualifying trim. I mean, I'm pissed off on qualifying over. This has been doing this years and years and years. This is stupid. Did that look like clogging the middle to you? I damn near had to back up to go. That's not clogging the middle, apparently. We talked about clogging was our was our conversation before qualifying says really clearly in a lawyer's terms how you can't clog the middle and I'd be damned if the first time it clogs the middle that they don't call it discretionary. Then the next time you go out there and try to make a lap, the guy wrecks so puts you in a situation like we had in California. Do I finish this lap? Because that's a rule. You're not supposed to finish the lap fields frozen, but they went ahead and let those guys have it. You know, I mean, then you're here venting and just pissed off over no reason. It's 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 just stupid. But anyway, I'm going to go back and pout and be pissed off. I appreciate you letting me vent on national television, Jamie. But this is the second time that we've done this, and I've been bit by it, and I'm tired of it. This is a fail, an epic failure. About the six car, right? So the six we asked to pull up, and he did. Clint was very upset probably because he didn't get to make his lap. I'm going to assume that he thought the six would go out to qualify, and he didn't. He was just following what we told him to do. He followed the six car that he thought was going out to make a run, and he didn't. He stopped. We asked him to move up. That's what happened. There was there's plenty of TV viewers that show that there was room to go by him. I'm sure he's upset. Why did they have the six car move up? I thought you make what you make one move. You park. Go to qualify. Nobody moves. See, this is once again, they don't know what they're doing. 
Right, because there was a couple other guys that sat there and moved up right. and didn't go out to qualify. Just posturing BS. Yeah, it's just all stupid. It's all stupid. Why is the guy from NASCAR out there talking with trucks in the background instead of being like, you know, in a quiet spot where his words can actually be heard? Because they don't want you to hear what he has to say because it's weak as hell. It is. And it was a stupid, cheap excuse for the reason, you know, for them not being able to admit that they can't get their stuff together. It's just, you know, once again, just. And you're, I, I didn't see the tweets I wanted, but it, let's put it this way. There is probably about 50 of them, and about 45 were extremely negative. I mean, it was, it, they were nasty. And uh, the one I found just, just now from Dean Parker, I mean, the guy's wearing all his NASCAR garb in his photo. The guy's a NASCAR fan. Uh-huh. So uh, NASCAR, great. NASCAR's turned Texas into Daytona. You guys at NASCAR do understand that you are in a business and a sport because you've ruined cup racing with this new package. Qualifying is a joke. The cars at this point almost drive themselves. Why even race? Why even qualify? I, I you know, I said a couple weeks ago when they did this, when these guys were pulling this crap, you know, and NASCAR's done this in the past. I mean, look at this BS that they're doing. I mean, they're so they're they're so anal when it comes to uh uh the rules. So you have a situation where a guy puts his fingers on pit road. It's a penalty. But then you see crap like this where you're going, wait a second, that, you know, what's going on here? But if a guy puts his foot on the, on the wall or, or leans over past, you know, it, it, these are, these are penalties one mile and over out on pit, you know, everything is so to the point. And then this is ticky tack and, and it, it, it's, and then you see crap like this, you just you scratch your head and you go, I... one loose lug nut costs you ten grand, mm-hmm. but we can't figure out how to qualify our cars. And okay. why? And why did they go to this format? To make it more exciting for the fans. Ah. And how many fans showed up for qualifying yesterday? Yeah, maybe twenty five hundred. Yeah, if that. It was, uh, it was pathetic. It was absolutely pathetic. And like I said, NASCAR deserves it. And as and like I said before. Those are the guys that are there all three days. Uh huh. Those are your super fans. Those, when, that's your hardcore. When the when the you know things get rough, those are the guys you rely on. Yeah. And those are the guys you're pissing off. When when the track uh, a little bit south of here opened up, and you had to buy all three days of. Uh, the NASCAR weekend, and you had to buy the IndyCar weekend. It was one package. You couldn't split them up. I threw away the qualifying tickets every single year. I never went to qualifying. And back then, it was single lap. But I wasn't going to sit there and drive, you know, 45 minutes to an hour away from my house um, to watch qualifying. There was no way. So, you know, those are the hardcore fans. That's easy money. Those are the guys who sit there and they'll pull up a bar stool and it doesn't matter where they are and who they're sitting next to. They're going to talk NASCAR Mm -hmm. and you can't make those guys mad. They're the ones that promote your sport for nothing, have their stickers all over the back of their cars and their trucks. And, you know, that's all they talk about. Those are phenomenal ambassadors for your sport. 
And if you make them mad and drive them away because you can't figure out how to make rules to have these guys qualify in a common sense manner, it's just brutal. Brutal. Just brutal. When was the last time you saw a NASCAR sticker on a car? Oh, it's been a while. Remember, they were everywhere. Everywhere. And there were drivers, you know, like, oh, my God, they root for that guy? Like, you know. It was, okay, obviously the three. Yeah, and then As, Junior. And, and, well, and then 24. Yeah. But, yeah, you would see the 99 XI car. Ooh, there's a Burton. Yeah, Burton. A lot of Kansas fans. That makes sense. Some Ricky Rudd Even some throwback, you know, I, you know put the Kawiki 7 on there. I had the Kawiki 7 for until probably year 2000. You yeah. Know, 28 DBLs, you know. Oh, yeah. Iconic number and all that stuff. And, and you know, then you'd see the, yeah, the odd. And then the fun stuff was the oddball one. Yep. You know, oh, he's a, you know, Michael Waltrip fan. What? Wasn't too many of those out there. There's a front row Joe guy. Front, yeah, there you go. Joe Nemechek. You know, it's like. Yeah. Uh, now. They're not nowhere. You don't see him at all. Yeah. You don't see him at all. Sad. Yeah, it is. It is. And as quick as, uh, as quick as they came, they, they went out just as fast. And, uh, you know, it's, it's bad, man. It's bad that, uh, you know, it, a lot of it. And a couple people made the analogy of the NFL, you know, the biggest sport in the world, uh, for years, not knowing what a catch was. And, uh, you know, obviously with the downturn in NASCAR, it's nowhere near the NFL, but, um, the fact that the NFL took them, you know, forever to figure out what a catch was, this is worse because, you know, you have the arrow as far as attendance, as far as viewership, as far as sponsorship, heading straight down. And you can't afford to lose more fans. And the fact that you can't figure out how to put on a three-day weekend without in completely embarrassing yourself is just unacceptable. It is awful. At the place, that was a top-five track. Yes. Yeah. They, Texas, this is, what's more, besides football, what is, what is Texas? NASCAR. Yeah. It's Daytona, Talladega, Charlotte. Bristol. Texas. Texas. Those are the ones. And it's like. Used to be a destination uh, track. I knew people that went there from here. Uh-huh. We're going to go to Texas this year. We try and get down there about every other year, they'd say. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. We love it. They're not going anymore. No, they're not. Yeah. It was a place to see. It was, you know, just. Well, guess what? What? Jimmy Johnson got the pole. Lost all in this. Jimmy Johnson, who just last week, probably one of his worst weekends of the year. Mm-hmm. Going to Martinsville. Oh, great. I dominate there. Two laps down. Yeah. Awful race. Rebounds here. Been fast off the off off the transporter. He's been fast. Practice, everything else. Qualifies. I ain't talking about Jimmy Johnson. Well, what a yeah, exactly. You're not talking about the turnaround for Chevy in general. Yeah. All the William cars uh were phenomenal yesterday. Chevy had one hell of a bounce back. Their first good 
practice and qualifying uh, attempts of the season. All lost in the fact that they don't know how to do qualifying. All lost in that. Any bump that you would have got from the old guys with the bow tie tattoos on their forearm and the Chevy Calvin guy, uh, you know, using the Mm -hmm. bathroom on the other uh, car symbols and stuff. All lost. All lost. Swept under the carpet because of this disaster. It's frustrating. It yeah, really is. It sure is. This, this should be a good news day uh, and good news heading into the weekend for NASCAR, and it's the opposite. And then you have uh, Alex Bowman, too, who was looking so good. And, and it's, I, well, I said last week, I said, you know, the, you need some wrecks once in a while. Mm-hmm. You need some spins. Well, you saw that this week, and we'll talk about that coming up next on the final inspection show. Final inspection. Final inspection. Now, Dennis Michelson of D Mike Media is here to give us the inside track on NASCAR and the world of short track racing. Having so much fun here in the final inspection show. I guess I should have said, hey, I think we'll have Dennis on next. Yeah. Well, he doesn't need much of an introduction. You know, he's world famous. He is. The world famous Dennis Michelson. How are you doing today, sir? How's it going, C man? A uh, little <clears throat> little uh, trouble with the voice today, but uh, we're, we're playing injured. You well, sound like uh, Mr. Foley from Three's Company, kind of. There, I like that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm, I'm just doing voice impressions all day. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, last night... You might have been eating supper right before supper or whatever. You thought, ah, let's go and see a little NASCAR qualifying. What's going on here? What did you think, Dennis? Well, all I can say is this. NASCAR can change the rules all they want. The crew chiefs and drivers will find a way to screw it up. You know, it, it it's... I you know and I read the the tweet that you sent me from from Potgrass, and I thought this was taken care of. You know, they're going to stay in in their pit box, and when you go to qualify, you go to qualify. And now I see this this shenanigans. I mean, didn't I? What 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 bothers me the most is that I I, we we thought there was one set of rules, and then we come back, and it's like, well, no, it's the same thing. Well, it's like the guy, you know, you you see the there's an old adage of the guy. there's this, this guy, see this guy hitting himself in the head with a hammer. He's like, what the hell are you doing? He goes, well, you know what? It feels so good when it's, when I stop. And that's kind of what yeah, NASCAR is doing right now. That's a great analogy. Um, NASCAR has a problem because with the restricted engines in this new package, it's much faster to be in the draft than it is on your own. And it's going to be this way at every big track, no matter how they do it. So the first thing they need to do is just lower the, the length of time in these segments to three minutes. Because nobody's going out a second time anyway. So let's just make this lousy show last a shorter time. And I think that'll at least uh, be a little better. But now it's, you know, qualifying is supposed to be about setting the field by who has the best car on that weekend. Mm-hmm. And what, what they've tried to do is turn it into a show instead, and it's not working. So 
you either need to go back to some form of one car qualifying or they could do smaller groups or some way to, to remove the shenanigans because whatever rule they try to put in, the drivers will find a way to screw it up. Remember the movie Spinal Tap? Oh yeah. Okay. There's a spinal tap, and they're they're kind of at the you know they're they're at the bottom. You know they were at the top, and now they're back at the bottom, and they're just trying to get any gig, and they get the gig on the Air Force Base, and <laughs> they walk in there, and there's all these Air Force officers and their wives, and it's you know real button up tight crowd, and here comes Spinal Tap, and it's kind of like you know NASCAR, you know wanted. They, they brought in this band for qualifying, and it's not the band they thought it was going to be, is it, Dennis? No, because every time NASCAR thinks about a solution to a problem, they haven't thought it through the way a crew chief will think it through. Because there's nobody within NASCAR that is currently playing, has played under these rules. You know, it's a lot of the guys that are there behind the scenes, never drove a race car. They never crew chiefed. They're just guys that have grown up through the NASCAR system. So they don't have that mentality of Mm -hmm. how can we beat this rule? Because that's what a good crew chief always does. If you tell him the line is at this mark, you tell him he's got a quarter inch to play with, he will go within one mill, you know, unbelievably close to that quarter inch because that's what he does. He'll push the envelope every single time. My uh, have that mentality right now. My 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 wife. I had qualifying on, and my wife's doing some stuff in the back of the house, and comes out, and she sits down, and she she looks at the TV just as all the cars are kind of parked there, and then uh, they see everybody pulling off, and she's like, "What what's this? I go, that's qualifying." She goes, well, there's only like a minute left. I said, yeah, they wait till the minute, and then they all leave at once. She goes, that's the most stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life, and walked out of the room. <laughs> it's like, smart yeah. lady. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I mean, she's like, okay, that's that 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 sounds really stupid. So I, you know, it's like, yeah, she voted on that apparently. So, but, but part of the problem though is that when you don't have full starting fields every single week. You don't have people who are in danger of losing their starting position. And, you know, obviously NASCAR, when they went with the whole um, uh, charters and all that kind of stuff, locked, you know, the the big guys in and, you know, with provisionals and everything before that. But, you know, if there was a bump day, you know, every single week, if there were cars going home, I don't think you'd see the same shenanigans. But NASCAR killed that, too, by how expensive they made everything. Yeah, you'll never see that back again. And, um, you know, it's just, it's weird the way they've done it is they, they had an idea and they, you know, it's like we now have this idea and we feel like we can't go back to the old fashioned way of doing things. I'm pretty convinced that if Brian France had not pushed to have the chase and the playoff system, they might realize that that's not even a good idea but whenever they accept something new and they start doing it for a while they take uh forever until they change their mind on it 
And I think that's what you're seeing with qualifying. I think there's a lot of folks that like to say, hey, let's just go back to doing single car runs or let's go back to doing something different for qualifying. But NASCAR, since they changed it, they don't want to unchange it. It's just a weird thing that happens in this sport. Dennis, if you had to choose between the new version of uh, what we're watching or single car qualifying, what would you prefer? Oh, why not a hybrid mix? You know, why don't you go ahead and do the group qualifying thing to get down to the top 24 or some magical number? Maybe you say the top 16 by this group qualifying. And then you do from 16th to 1st on a single car run, and you send them out rapid fire. One guy goes out, and 30 seconds later, the next guy's going out, whatever. You just rapid fire them out on the track. So you constantly have a car buzzing around. That would be better right now than what they have. Okay. I like that. I mean, I, I've seen that. I've seen short tracks do that, and they were doing that at, at Daytona this year where they, where they sped it up, and I, I kind of liked it. And, and especially it's going to be the hardcore racer that's going to be watching this. And, I, I, you know, the one thing I've always liked about qualifying is that, you know, the the talking heads kind of get you up to speed on what happened with that team for that particular week. Was there a crew chief yeah. change? Was there any update? Uh, what, what you know, what happened with the team? Did they, you know, something happen with the transporter? I mean, I, I don't know. But, I, I you know, if it's it's your hardcore fan that's watching qualifying. Give them something hardcore. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be, always be a dog and pony show. That is not the magic, you know, ingredient NASCAR needs. I mean, it, it's you, you need a good race on Sunday, but for the other stuff, the the side stuff, I've always said the biggest problem NASCAR has right now is solidifying that hardcore fan, and and they're not doing it, and they're losing. Those are the fans they're losing now, and that's it's. I don't think they understand how danger, what a dangerous position they're in right now, do they, Dennis? No, and right now what they look like is they look like they're confused. Like they don't know how to run their own series. Mm-hmm. And that is not very popular with sports fans. When you see officiating that looks like it's a joke in other sports, they have to jump in and fix it right away. Otherwise, you're going to have a revolt of the fans. And NASCAR is just kind of going along going, yeah, let's try something else for the next track without even realizing it that before they figure out what they're going to do, the crew chiefs figure out a way to screw it up. Yeah, I I, I like this tweet that you retweeted from NASCAR uh, Opinion. People get caught up in in the idea of single car qualifying is boring. Who cares? Not everything has to be entertainment. Some things are just important steps to a race weekend. The race is for the fans and entertaining the masses. Setting the field is a serious uh, part of the progress. And then you, 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 you responded, qualifying and racing used to be about deciding who was the fastest. It wasn't meant to be a show, which you reiterated before. So, yeah, I totally agree, Dennis. I mean, it's it's just frustrating where we are. And, you know, there there is a, a point, you know, I mean, it's given us something to talk about. It's given us a just subject on the racing show. But trust me, I know Jeff and I don't really appreciate having to come on here and saying, okay, this is well what NASCAR screwed up this week. It's it's not our favorite thing to do on the job. We'd rather be talking about racing and something, you know, a spectacular race, a great battle for a lead, a good story or whatever, other than, you know, saying, you know, seeing the, the decisions that they're making. Racing. 
Yeah. Yeah, the racing was fantastic. We wouldn't be talking about this. We'd be like, ah, that's no big deal. But the racing hasn't been all that great either. So mm-hmm. you either have a chance to talk about the racing that's been lackluster or qualifying that's been a joke. And quite frankly, the qualifying is the easier target right now because it basically makes NASCAR look incompetent. The only thing I'll say in NASCAR's defense, they've done a very good job of trying to get out ahead of this and not even waiting for the criticism to come in. They're at least getting smart enough to realize when they see a crappy show that they're going to get criticism and they head off in the past. But here they made a classic NASCAR mistake. They put a rule in saying you can't block the middle lane. And Ryan Newman blocks the middle lane, and they don't penalize him. If they would have penalized Ryan Newman, you would have had one guy that was really upset, but you'd have everybody else saying, okay, at least NASCAR called it the way they said they were Mm -hmm. going to. Yep. Well, that's the problem with NASCAR is that they implement so many new rules smack dab in the middle of the season, and then they decide if they're going to enforce them or not. So, you know, if you can sit there and you see that there's a problem, and, and like uh, like Steve said, you know, part of the problem is they don't have the right guys figuring out ways to job these rules to get around them, and so then it leaves loopholes all over the place. But if you had a set rule book from Daytona all the way through Miami, at least it would give more credibility than every every week the rules change and then sometimes, depending on who it is or depending on what side of the bed we woke up on, sometimes we'll enforce and sometimes we won't. Back in the days of Big Bill France Jr., when he took over from his dad, there was no doubt who was in charge. There was one man in charge, and that was the only man whose, whose opinion mattered in the sport. And as a result, everybody knew if he made the decision that was the decision we're going on. Whether I like it or not, I'm supporting it because he's the man. Now what you have in NASCAR is you have this group think thing going on, and nobody's coming up with good ideas, but nobody has an alternative either except to try something else. It's pretty stupid. But if NASCAR can solve a problem with technology, they feel great about it. Look at the pit stop penalty. They out of the hands of a human referee and put it into the hands of a machine on the roof. So that's what NASCAR wants, is they want technology to take away decision-making from their officials because their officials can't make a decision anymore. It's really weird, and it's sort of the opposite of what you see in almost every one of the stick-and-ball sports. And the fans look at it, and they just laugh and, and go, eh. NASCAR, we love it, but these guys couldn't, you know, they, they, they couldn't hold one car parade at this point. You know, they're just, they're going to find a way to screw it up. And that's, it's almost getting comical to see what happens in qualifying. Because I'll guarantee you, the paint drying channel got more views yesterday and more, more happy customers than NASCAR qualifying did. Yeah, well, you know, I agree with that. I saw that tweet that you sent out and, uh, you know, I, I couldn't agree with it more. I, I flipped on to basketball. And then uh, about 10 minutes, I'm like, oh, I was watching qualifying. I flipped back. They're all still sitting on pit road. So I went back to basketball. It uh, it was brutal. But very, very good points uh, that you made there, Mr. Roper. 
well, who's your pick for uh, for Texas this week while you're uh, trying to nurse your uh, your body back to health with the help of uh, Suzanne Summers or some other very pretty lady? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I uh, am going to pick Mr. Joey Logano. It's just a, a big track. He's been strong this year. So it's Joey Logano for the top spot for me. Well, after the fart showing that they had at uh, in qualifying, it makes uh, sense that you get the guy who looks like he just smelled a bad fart uh, winning the race. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dennis, uh, why don't you go get uh, some, what is that, tea tea with honey? Is that what you need? A little, a little tea yeah, with honey will help that throat? As a matter of fact, I was just sent a whole case of tea from the Elephant Tea Tea Company because I just did a story about their driver, Ron Atapatu. It's the greatest tasting tea you're going to find. He also helped save the Sri Lankan elephants. You can't make a story like this up, but you can hear it next week on D Mike Media. That's Very awesome. Good. If if you live closer, I would have sent you some uh, some tea with cinnamon. Uh, she'll take very good care of you, but you live too far away. Hey, uh, Dennis, don't forget to vote on uh, the the Facebook and uh, final inspection Facebook page on Brett Moffat's mustache. Yay or nay? Uh, yeah, we we need seventies porn star mustaches to make <laughs> okay. a return in NASCAR. Okay, Dennis, you can vote nay then on that. Very good, Dennis. Thank you for joining the show. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, buddy. Thanks, man. All right, thank you, Dennis Michelson. Make sure you check out D Mike Media. We'll talk more uh, NASCAR and mustaches coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. Back to the final inspection show. I'm Steve Zaki along with Jeff Orlowski. Thanks for listening. Fun show so far. Uh, hey, if you're out and about tomorrow, Sunday morning, you know where Lucky Bob's Raceway is, Jeff? I do not. It's on 58th and Forest Home. Uh, there uh, it is, yeah. They're doing a plastic model swap meet. So no die cast. This is all like models. And you remember those models you used to put together with you know in between when you were sniffing the glue. Yes, sir. Yeah, you put NASCAR models or World War II airplanes. You name it. They're doing a a swap meet there. Susan, my wife Susan's going to be there selling. We got a bunch of uh, uh, plastic models uh, kits that we got from a collection, uh, along with some IndyCar stuff. Uh, the the resin ones the real small they're like one what scale is that one not 164 148 scale whatever anyways uh lots of stuff there come on down and the best part about it is that admission is free nice so uh it's going to be from uh 10 10 9 a.m to 12 noon at lucky bob's 58th and forest home make sure you check it out a lot of neat stuff there and uh, when we come back on the Final Inspection Show, we'll be talking with media mogul Tony DeZino. Looking forward to it. Coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR. 
IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Zaki. And thank you for tuning in to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway and, and David Obbs Honda, Steve Zaki, along with Jeff Orlowski. Talking racing on a Saturday afternoon in in fact, let's talk a little bit more racing. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is Tony DeZeno. Tony, welcome to the show again. Hey, guys. Well, good, to have, good to be back. Thank you again for having me on. Oh, I would love it when you come on the show. It's always interesting. And uh, I guess, where should we start? Uh, should we start uh, maybe a little bit of Sebring? Tell us the we, Sebring from yeah. your pers- perspective. Yeah, sure. Um, another different Sebring in the books. Um, rain seems to be the, the thing that's peppering IMSA to start the year with uh, two really wet portions of races at Daytona and Sebring. But on the bright side, whereas Daytona, I think, was kind of, I want to say, ruined by the rain in the second half of the race, pretty much from the, the morning to the end and, and kind of an early red flag here. You had rain to start the race, and there were some comers and goers, and then as the conditions got better, then the the whole complexion of the thing changed. And it really took what was kind of a tough start and made it a a really fun, uh, long afternoon that that saw a lot of evolution throughout the field. And then uh, last week, of course, uh, we had IndyCar racing at the Circuit of the Americas. um, And what did you – what was the kind of the the feedback you were getting in the world of auto racing with uh, IndyCar uh, finally making its first appearance at the Circuit of the Americas? I had a number of chats this week with uh, just kind of reflecting on on how it went and goods and bads from it. And I think there's there's two things to consider. One is you know everyone's going to look at it and think we got to compare F1 to IndyCar. Mm-hmm. You can't really do that. And I think this was always going to be a different kind of race. It was going to feature, you know, cars with that are a little more heavier, that have less horsepower, that have pushed to pass rather than DRS, as we saw. And what you got was a, a really entertaining event that's spiced up based on when um, when the tires fell off, there was three or four different strategies in play. And then ultimately the one yellow flag that, that came out, which was a result of two guys coming together off the track at turn nine, uh, 19 rather, uh, that changed the whole complexion where guys that didn't pit when the window opened got caught out and, and, you know, they were complaining afterwards, but you know, you, you live by the yellow, you die by the yellow, you got to know the rules going in and, and that's kind of what, what wound up happening before a pretty, pretty crazy finish. And it's one of those situations where, you know, you're going to lose a race that way, but if you're running as well as you think you're running, you're going to win a race that way too, aren't you? Absolutely. And, you know, for Colton Herta's team to make the strategy call they did, they weren't going to get ahead of Power and Rossi on pace anyway. So you're going to try to, you know, do the undercut strategy where if you go early, then you get a better outlap on hot tires. You might be able to, to jump ahead. And as it turned out, you know, they played the strategy game right. I, I had to laugh at the fact that Brian Barnhart's car benefited and Will Power's car went in went mm-hmm. at the exact same point. So uh, no rain involved there, but I got a chuckle out of that. What well, What did you think of the of the the no limits uh, in regards to the runoff area? Pretty much cars could run where they wanted to, and in the past Formula One has not had that rule. 
Do you, do you think it, there's a possibility of Formula One actually adapting that when they come back in the fall? I don't think they will. F1's pretty stringent on, on track limits because so many of the their designs are the, really, they've all been dealt by and designed by the same person, Herman Tilke. And so they've all had this kind of character of really long areas and they, and they police it. What might be different there is just how the, uh, the race directing evolves after, you know, the unfortunate sad news of Charlie Whiting's passing, you know, by that point in the season, will there be a, a consistency or, or standards established by the new form of F1 race control? As to the IndyCar question, I didn't have a problem with it. I didn't think that you could really assign blame or apportion violations because you have, you know, if you have two wheels off, four wheels off, whatever, you might have some guys get penalized and others not, and then you don't have consistency. So by not having the limits, you didn't run into a consistency issue where certain people might have got docked and others might have got away with it. Uh, with the IndyCar series moving uh, forward, we have uh, Alabama coming up, of course, Long Beach, and then the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, with the with, uh, would an oval before the Indianapolis be a plus to the series, do you think? It's hard to say. I mean, they've, they've only had Phoenix in recent years, and, of course, that fell by the wayside after last year, or ISM Raceway, excuse me, now that that's the official term of it, and it's never been, you know, it, it was always Phoenix, even though it was never actually in Phoenix. Right. Um, I think that there's not enough translatable from an oval before Indianapolis. And there is going to be a test beforehand, too. There's usually an open test. I think it's end of April. I don't know the exact date, um, which will be kind of a warm-up act anyway. And that's almost kind of become the unofficial kickoff to the month of May before even the Grand Prix. You know, we had it with the Alonzo test a couple of years ago. That was that was huge from a social media and, and you know, international following standpoint. And, and last year, there was a lot of interest in that, too. One thing to note there is if they do if they are able to stream that that pre-test is that might be something that's not on the on the gold package on the nbc gold package so maybe that gives people an appetizer so i don't have a problem with it i mean i think it's it's you know you got a really interesting test with you know saint pete being early coda really a different kind of race and then barber which needs kind of a bounce back after being rain affected and rain delayed last year and then the the crown jewel street race of the year which is long beach how, how much do you think indianapolis is, is gonna um uh, be helped by having uh, NBC having uh, having them behind the Indianapolis 500. I guess there's been a lot of comparisons made with the, that uh, what NBC was able to do with the Kentucky Derby, and kind of that, that for many years was kind of like yeah yeah Kentucky Derby. Now it's kind of it, it's kind of regained its luster, and uh, is is that something that Indianapolis is looking forward uh, to with uh, NBC being in the mix? Yeah, and I'm really excited to see what NBC will do with it. I mean, just with their announcements they've already had, like or hater, you know you're going to want to watch whatever Danica Patrick has to say. Mike Tirico gives the event kind of really that big major event feel that just, you know, you have them for Olympics, you have them for Super Bowl, you have them for golf, you know, whatever else goes on it just there's a there's a gravitas there mm-hmm. you still have your core indycar people which is you know your same booth that's not getting changed you have a deep pit reporter rotation not sure if it's going to be four or five or they might have some for the grand prix some for qualifying or, or whatever you'll probably have rutledge you'll have dale jr and let's which now that they've 
you know, tried them out in kind of a foreign setting at the Rolex 24. I thought that helped that broadcast because, you know, they're not the same hardcore people that, you know, they're not the same 300, 400,000 people that watch IndyCar full time. They have a much bigger following and you're going to have so much pre-race, so much post-race and just all the bells and whistles that they're going to try to pull out to make it feel, you know, refreshed, you know, for a race that isn't going to have a ton of difference. I think there's going to be a little slightly different arrow to try to affect what was really difficult to pass last year, but I think they're going to do a good job presenting it. So it's, it's kind of one of the most anticipated things this year. Yeah. I'm kind of excited. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be interesting because in the past, it always seems like almost as ABC was kind of going through the paces and uh, you kind of had that feeling for the last few years. So uh, it'll be, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see a, a network that wants to be there that wants to promote it and is, is kind of excited. And it's like anything, you know, sometimes change is good, you know, and I think this is what we're seeing uh, with NBC in Indianapolis this year. It should be interesting to see and just what, how, you know, those ratings can, which have been creeping back up, how much more of a, of a bounce they can get. Yeah. And I think ABC, if anything, had to deal with the crutch of history where, you know, they had a gold standard with Paul Page and Sam Posey and Uncle Bobby and you're never going to be able to replicate that. NBC's tried to, to put that together with Lee, PT, and, and Townsend. I mean, the only question is, if, is there going to be a bug on PT or something? Like, don't bring up 2002. Don't bring up 2002. I will laugh profusely if Elio's in the lead for his fourth and it's PT <laughs> calling, calling the race that PT ties the, the record. Or, sorry, that Elio ties the record, excuse me. But, uh, yeah, I'd be hilarious if that happened. Yeah, and, and for those who who complain about TV coverage or you know, their, their situations. I mean, the biggest pet peeve I have, it's a really small one is, is the in-car cameras that are mounted on the, on the top of the car, whether it's IndyCar or stock car racing. I, I, you know, the, the, the 360, I think they move it too much. I kind of like it facing forward. Cause then you can kind of get a better perspective of how the car is handling in that. I guess it's maybe because I'm just too hardcore for that, but I I do think they kind of fool around with it too much. That's a minor thing. But if you ever have a criticism of, of uh, how you feel auto racing television coverage is, go to YouTube and go, like, watch the 1977 Indianapolis 500 with Jim McKay and Jackie Stewart. And you'll feel a lot better about the coverage today. <laughs> See, my biggest complaint with coverage and whether it's Indy or NASCAR is when they uh, when they play the in-car audio, uh, the conversations between the crew chief and you know uh, and the driver. Half the time, I can't understand a, a word that they're saying, and I wish that they were subtitled uh, because you know I find myself rewinding it three times and then I just give up. So, you know, I would love to hear, I would love to hear it, but I just, I can't understand it. So subtitle it, get somebody to type it out for me. Tony, what's your biggest complaint? Not graphics. I think one of the current people in the NASCAR on Fox booth who may or may not be headed toward retirement within the next year or so, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think my biggest gripe is the challenge between how do you balance the hardcore versus the casual on a presentation. And I think, whereas the NBC shows have been very hardcore to start. And I think that's helped. I worry that 
they're, they might have to venture too much into the casual, uh, certainly with the IndyCar Grand Prix a couple weeks earlier, because that'll be the first NBC network show of the year. That'll be a really good taste for how the presentation might differ. And I think you, there's such a fine line between how do you talk down or, or how do you explain it kind of a normal level, but not too normal to where it's, it's, you know, dumbed down to the point of like, well, this is, this isn't helping because all you're doing is you're just, you're hurting the end result at that point, you know? And I think, I think quite honestly, ABC struggled with that the last few years because their, their people that they had on the ground were not bad. It was just that they had to explain it and kind of present the shows in such a way that it didn't present the series as accurately or as uh, as technically as maybe it could have. Yeah, but I would give them a few weeks because they're going to have to sit there and dumb it down for the new audience and all that kind of stuff that, you know, that they hope to bring in. So I would imagine the first few weeks will be very elementary. And then after that, I think they'll get their sea legs and move more towards, uh, you know, the coverage that that we as uh, experts, quote unquote, <laughs> uh, you know, are used to and enjoy. Tony, can you wait? Uh, can you hang over for one more segment? Yep. Awesome. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking. Formula One is in Bahrain. And I also wanted to get Tony's uh, take on the new NASCAR schedule, which we plugged in our promos, but so much stuff has happened between then. I know. We haven't even touched on. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the 2020 NASCAR schedule and Formula One in Bahrain coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. On 105.7 FM, The Fan. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by legendary Great Lakes Dragway and David Hobbs Honda. Joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is Tony DeZeno. Tony, welcome back to the show. Appreciate you spending time with us on this Saturday afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, NASCAR, we've been hearing big, big changes. A fundamental change to the schedule for 2020. Jeff, let me let me ask you first. What was your first impression of the NASCAR schedule review? Uh, for the most part, I liked it. You know, they, uh, you know, are killing some tradition, moving Daytona off the 4th of July and uh, stuff like that. I do like the fact that they're doubling up Pocono. Uh, you know, last few, couple years we've talked about how awful those races usually are. So the fact that you're going to fit both Poconos in the same weekend I think is good. Um you know, it's interesting that they're taking a two-week break uh, in the season for the Olympics and stuff like that, kind of as a, uh, you know... A, a reset, uh, maybe, kind of. I like that. Well, you can call it reset. You can call it uh, sucking up to uh, NBC, you know, however you want to label it. But, um, you know, it's definitely different. It's definitely different. I do like that uh, Miami is next year is not going to be the championship race. Maybe, maybe uh, NBC said... Uh, you don't move those races. You guys are going to be on CNBC. Yeah, it's definitely possible. Could have been. It, it could have been. So, you know, for the most part, I, I I don't mind the changes that were made. I think they're going to be uh, good and better for the sport. 
It's going to take a little bit for me to get used to not having Atlanta as the second race of the year, though. Tony, what about you? Atlanta's not the biggest uh, change from this. I mean, there's there's so many. I mean, moving the West Coast swing forward, I like. Um, I, I would almost – I would actually agree with Jenna Fryer's suggestion that she's almost surprised that Homestead isn't the second race to keep everyone in Florida for another time rather than going back. Mm-hmm. It's there are. It is going to be weird to see how Homestead works in its spot. The Brickyard moving back to July. I mean, the whole reason it was moved off of – where it was in, in August and end of July for the longest time was, oh, it's too hot. And now, oh, it's moved to July 4th when everyone's getting out of Indianapolis. So it's just, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, there's, I think I like the, I think I like the Martinsville bits more than most because with that being now the, the, the second to last race of the year, which is a cutoff race. So you're going to go to the championship depending on how Martinsville goes. If you think it's been bad with the, the Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott stuff and the, the true X and Logano last year, now having that as a cutoff race, I love that. So mm-hmm. I really like how the playoffs looks. Um, that second bit of the playoffs is going to be nuts. You've got Vegas, Talladega, and the Roval all in a row. So it's like I think that increases the importance of Vegas because that's going to be the one non-crapshoot race where it's like if you win that, you're good, and if you don't, you're going to be sweating bullets for the next two weeks. So um, as to the schedule point with the, the two-week break, I think that's almost an entirely Olympics decision. There's so much of a, a pecking order. And, and really, if you look at it, NBC has three major motorsports series on with NASCAR, with IndyCar, and with IMSA. How do those other two series get affected then around that same time frame? So kind of big picture thinking to, to watch as we have the first element of how 2020 will look with uh, a vast, vastly different bit uh, for, the, for the Cup Series. Yeah, with the, with the Pocono, you know, basically – you know, it's two races, but a single going basically to a single weekend. I'm kind of interested to see now, do they, as as a track, do, do they try and put more emphasis now on that IndyCar weekend? In the past, it was kind of like, okay, it was the redheaded stepchild because we, we got our two powerful NASCAR races here, and that's just kind of like a little addition. Now, it's basically become their second weekend. So are they really going to kind of put the impetus on it to really kind of promote it? like they would that second uh, cup weekend, Tony? I think they have to do that for this year because if ABC Supply doesn't renew its its uh, sponsorship contract of the race, I worry that it could be it could go away at the end of the year. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, two, there's there's a very tenuous nature to Pocono. And I, when I, one thing I hope NASCAR does, I know they say, oh, we want to keep them both 400 miles. 400 miles in two races back-to-back, no one wants to see 800 miles of Pocono, and if it rains, you're going to get 800 miles in one day or something something crazy like that. I mean, maybe if you have that as like a trial run to say, hey, you have one shorter race and one longer race or something, maybe that keeps the attention spans a little bit more. I mean, like a 200 and a 300 miler there would be would be great or something like that. Or you're not over testing guys. Or you can play with the Southern boys and say it's a 500k. Oh, good, it's a 500. You know, they they don't, you know, 317 miles, you know, that that works. I mean, and and you look at, you know, the, the, the newer tracks, that's what they would do. I mean, the, you know, especially Phoenix, yeah, it's Phoenix 500 or 500 K. So 300 or 12 is 312 or 317 laps is a lot easier or 300 miles. I think at Pocono is a lot more attainable for the the fan in the stand and the TV audience. I think that, yeah, the 400 or 500. 
There's, uh, a, there's a lot of crapshoots, So I mean, like yeah. I mentioned in the playoffs and then Daytona to end the regular season, too. Um, I forget where I saw this this week. It was saying, oh, well, Stenhouse at the cutoff race for the last race before the playoffs. That, that'll be fun. So, um, yeah, some interesting changes, and I think it's the first step in an even more revamped 2021 because that's when the contracts with the existing tracks will come off and you could possibly see new venues, not just new shuffled dates going on the schedule. Yeah, great point about Stenhouse. You thought that he was uh, running bumper cars every year on the restrictor plates uh, before. Just wait until that's his last chance to get into the playoffs, and then uh, all bets are off. Well, Sparky's wish was always that Daytona you know, was the first and last race of the year in, in a kind of roundabout way it is now for the regular season. So I think that's an interesting way of, of you know bookending the, the regular season with the two Daytona races. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So, Tony, Formula One, Bahrain, we have a Ferrari sighting. We do, and they've uh, they've aro- awakened from their slumbers of Melbourne where they didn't seem to have the pace everyone was projecting them to in, in preseason testing. Uh, qualifying happened this morning, and it, we're, we're at a golden age of kind of young guys. I mean, with Colton Herta winning his first IndyCar race last week, and now Charles Leclerc. Uh, getting his first pole position this morning, and convincingly too, not not by a, a small margin, but by a solid two, three tenths over Sebastian Vettel. Um, look out! I mean, you know, it's it's. I, I ran through some stats earlier this week. We've only had eight different race winners in Formula One since 2013 drivers, and we've only had like two or three new winners in that same time frame with uh, with Botas and, and Ricardo. So. You know, Leclerc is is very well positioned to get his first victory tomorrow if he can get a good start um, and not, you know, hold on to his tires throughout the stint. Yeah, uh, David Hobbs and I have been very high on on Charles Leclerc, and, and, you know, it it was a no-brainer that he would step up from the junior team to the number two spot. And it'll be interesting to see just how how well he does. And, uh, you know, it's a surprise, but in a way I I think it's not a surprise that he was able to – to show you know what what a talented young driver he is, uh, the other kind of surprise of the year is the speed from the Haas Haas team this year. Yeah, they're they're looking like a clear best of the rest in the midfield, and they're pushing row three. Even you know if one of the mm-hmm. Red Bulls has issues, I mean Max Verstappen, and I neglected to mention him earlier as the young winner, but Max has become a clear leader in that team and, and at the moment Gasly's had two tough races since his promotion so Haas is kind of in this this perfect we need to poise we need to capitalize on our opportunities moment because you know they look at the points that got away last year you know the early races that probably cost them fourth in the championship so if they get off to a good start this year and they, they certainly did it in Australia with one result if they can get two here that sets them on a good foot for the the foreseeable future so it's which is good to see because i mean that they've they've executed their resources well and uh, they've played smartly within those guidelines and they they have two guys that are veteran guys that don't don't make a ton of mistakes you know at least as much as they used to yeah you have uh magnuson uh, who qualified six and grosjean who qualified eighth but is apparently was handed a three-place grid uh penalty uh for impeding the greatest name, I think, in Formula One today, and that's Lando Norris in qualifying. So Grosjean will start 11th. Tell us a bit about uh, Lando Norris. Really, really sharp talent. Um, 
he was very good in the Formula 2 ranks. You know, you look at what Leclerc's done, Lando was in the same boat. He had a really good battle last year with George Russell, who unfortunately is wasting away at Williams this year. McLaren seems to have the, the right, you know, perfect perfect timing for Fernando Alonso, mm-hmm. right? Finally, after he retires is when McLaren gets good. Lando's made Q3 now in the first two races of, of his career, which is outstanding. He and Alonso were actually teamed in the same car at the Rolex in 2018, and Lando was faster than Fernando in the same car uh, in, a, in a P2 spec Ligier for United Autosports. So very highly rated. Um, with Lewis closer to the end of his career than the beginning, Lando is going to probably move into the next great British hope type thing. Uh, and, and it's one of those things where, you know, he could be in a Leclerc-type situation where he'll he'll get some solid points finishes this year, and that well positions him in you know a year or two to maybe go into one of the top teams, or hopefully by that point McLaren's back to that a top team itself, you know, and not just occasionally punching above its weight in the midfield if they have the reliability. Yeah, the the, the Williams situation is certainly it's sad, but it's also kind of interesting. It, obviously, it's a a bit of a soap opera over there. But with with the, with the two tri- drivers, George Russell, I mean, I understand Mercedes' point of view, where you want the kid to step up to Formula One, you kind of kind of find a place for him to get some seat time. It's not the best situation, but at least this way, he's kind of learning to feel, albeit not maybe the best situation with with Williams, but you know, he's getting used to Formula One power, getting used to the kind of just the whole weekend, getting acclimated that way and then with with Kubica who was just awful in Australia really off the pace and and because of some testing issues Williams had in the offseason really wasn't able to kind of build himself up to it but he was only a, a, a just a couple tenths behind Russell in qualifying uh, what's your opinion on with pairing up of uh, you know the veteran Kubica hasn't been in a car Formula One car in eight eight nine years with Russell a bit of a tough situation because it is an intriguing driver pairing. You have this great comeback story with Kibitz after his rally accident having severe arm damage, and you didn't know if he was going to live, let alone drive a car again. Um, the fact he's even made it to this point is remarkable, but the sad part is you worry if it if this time has passed. I mean, eight, nine years is a long time to be at a competitive F1 machine, or you rarely see comebacks of guys that have been out more than two to three years tops and in in russell's case you're right he's in kind of a low pressure learning year but how much does that do psychologically to go from you're winning races you're winning the championship to you're barely able to beat your teammate who hasn't been in an f1 car granted his talent was very high at his peak but uh the problems there are more symptomatic of where they are organizationally where Mm -hmm. Their patty low has been placed on on leave. Their car was delayed, and they're not going to really have any updates until they get back to the European season after the, you know two three more races. So, uh, tough situation and really tough sledding for them. You know, I, I know there was talk. Oh, could Esteban Ocon go there? He, why would he want to go there? I'd rather take a year out of this out of the seat than than waste away for a year at a tail end team where it right. kills your reputation inadvertently. Can Can Mercedes do anything? To I know there's some some legal issues you know within the rules and that, but I mean can can Mercedes help out Williams in any way? 
Williams has been very adamant that they want to maintain their their independence as their own constructor and not rely on. It, it's a classic difference between them and Haas. Haas is like, oh, let's make as much use of Ferrari as we can sure. within the regulations, and they are the clear fourth best team. Williams was the third or fourth best team at the start of the turbo hybrid year mm-hmm. in 2014, and they've slowly regressed from third back to fifth, to eighth, ninth, and now at the tail end, Charlie's. You know, Felipe Massa and Valtteri Bottas was a heck of a lineup, but with a lot better personnel. You've seen a personnel change. You've seen a driver lineup change. You've seen car delay changes. And the end result is Williams is back to where it was in probably 2011 or 2013, where they were, you know, ninth or tenth in the points. But there's no way of them recovering because the midfield is just so much further ahead. It's almost like hang on until you get to the next round of regulations and hope that you do a better job. So tough sledding ahead, unfortunately. Yeah, very much so. And, and uh, you know, a team that's been basically around since 1970, it's sad. And, you know, when people think of Williams, they think of, you know, you th- you know Alan Jones and Nelson Piquet and Nigel Mansell and, and, and those cars. And it, it's certainly an unfortunate situation. But, yeah, like you said, 2014, they were they were humping. I mean, there was there were a couple times on the podium. They were they really seemed to be that you know, that B team, which was and Formula One. It, it's you know not the easiest thing to do. And sadly, yeah, there's just been this erosion year after year, getting worse and worse. So hopefully they can turn it around. Tony, we certainly appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a delight to chat with you. And uh, what's next in your schedule? Uh, next one for me is Long Beach, which is always one of my favorite weekends of the year. I mean, there's usually the, and you know from being out there as many times mm-hmm. as you have, between the RRDC dinner and the, you know, the IMSA, first IMSA IndyCar combo weekend of the year. It's just, I, I, I understand why certain sanctioning bodies don't want to pair up, but man, if you're a fan or if you're covering the event, you're not going to get better bang for the buck than when you combine those series on on one deal it's such a great ticket it's such a great weekend um so very looking forward to that in two weeks so yeah barber barber being ahead of long beach is throwing me this year and i'm sure i'm not not the only one uh looking forward to it and uh yeah looking forward to chatting with you again and uh we'll definitely see you down in indianapolis in the month of may correct uh most likely but stay stay tuned all right very good thank you it's tony dezino joining us on the great midwest bank hotline Looking to buy, build, renovate, or refinance in 2019? Look no further and call Great Midwest Bank today. Great Midwest Bank, providing simply local common sense lending to your community since 1935. Coming up next, we'll talk with Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com. We'll talk about the uh, the race in Coda and the surprise, kind of a bit of a surprise winner there. Some young bucks, and then also get our racing predictions on the final inspection show. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show. Steve Zaki along with Jeff Orlowski, and uh, it gets a little cloudy today. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, a little colder than it's been the last few days. It's cold in Texas, days. too. I mean, it was this morning, uh, one of my buddies posted, he's down there for the race in Texas, and uh, they were sitting around a campfire. It was 40 degrees this morning. Wow. And when I last checked, before the show, it was about 52, 
And let's see here. Yeah, it's we... supposed to be dropping all day long. Yeah, so... just not, you know, for, for Texas, you kind of expect more. It's, 50, it's only 54 there. So, I mean, the only good thing is when I see weather like this, when it's not, you know, not the greatest here in Wisconsin, at least it's kind of miserable everywhere. Well, uh, just, you know, obviously well, it's you a know, great, one, one, great time one... for a public service announcement. If you're heading out to Miller Park tonight to uh, watch the Brewers beat the Cardinals, We'll have on-deck coverage from 5 to 6 and then post-game coverage immediately following the game, so turn tune into that here on the fan. But if you're going out tailgating, bring a sweatshirt or a jacket. And, Definitely uh, so, yeah. Because, you know. Yeah, because uh, it's, you know, thank God there's a roof in Miller Park. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we, you notice that if you play fantasy baseball, you know, the, the games, the season started Thursday, and then there's a lot of, a lot of teams are off on Friday. Yep. Ones without a roof over their head because of weather. Well, the Cubs are in Texas right. and they were off on Friday too. Yeah, so it's crazy. Go figure. Yeah. Hey, joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline is Eddie Lapine, reporting from Florida, where it seems like it's all as nice, isn't it? What's the weather down in Florida today, Eddie? Well, I'm wearing a short sleeve shirt. It's 87 degrees, and uh, I'm very comfortable down here. 87. Okay. The question, though. Is it a muggy or a dry 87? It's it's actually a dry. And oh, that's good then. One of my uh, one of my listeners is here. My father's actually in Tote, and we're sitting at the side of the pool enjoying this wonderful uh, Florida weather. Well, say hello to your father, and I always enjoy sharing a uh, Italian dinner with him because uh, he always finds the best Italian places to eat back in Milwaukee and. Your dad is certainly a delight, so make sure uh, tell him that Jeff and I say hello. So last weekend, pretty cool story down the Circuit of the Americas. Not only was it the first race at that iconic uh, racetrack that's been holding Formula One races there for quite a few years, but now IndyCar gets to go down into the uh, west side of Texas, new area for them, and it, it, it's it's uh, a new winner. And quite quite the uh, quite the story, I think, uh, with Colton Herta becoming the youngest winner in IndyCar. But not only that, his car owner uh, George Steinbrenner the fourth, which is quite the story in itself, the youngest car owner in the history of IndyCar. And these are two fellows you you've been on their uh, you, you, they they've been on your uh, kind of sight sight lines uh, for a few years, haven't they, Eddie? Well, the radio show and. Uh... I, I knew this kid had it in him just from talking to the engineers and the people around him, how, uh, how good he was from the start. And just, I mean, when you think about young kids and in, in this world and you think about IndyCar racing, you just don't think it's going to gel. But when you took these two kids, they are just incredible. And to see Colton excel that fast was really an amazing feat. Um, especially, um, you know, with the driving field that IndyCar racing has come to this year. Yeah, and a lot of people don't realize this. If you ever, if you ever notice on his uh, Facebook page, or I think also maybe his Twitter account too, Tony Rena, an up-and-coming IndyCar driver, is is on his uh, wallpaper, and that was his cousin. Tony Rena was a, a very, very talented driver who unfortunately lost his life in a practice crash in Indianapolis. I think it was 2003. And he's, he's got another uncle in auto racing. 
Uh, Chris Simmons, who actually drove Indy Lights, and I think was part of the Ganassi team too for a period of time, and is now an, an engineer on the IndyCar series. So this isn't a situation where, uh, you know, Steinbrenner was just like, hey, auto racing's kind of cool. I'm, I'm going to get involved. He's been, in, he's been in it for a while, and that started uh, basically working with Brian Herta uh, when he was a kid, wasn't it? Well, yes, and and the thing is with uh, George Steinbrenner, he just he he's so charismatic, and he comes from the baseball world, and he's so knowledgeable. That's what I found out when I interviewed him. That this kid really loves the history of sports, as baseball as you would think that would be a give me, but racing. He's just a knowledgeable young man, and a very business savvy person. That's coming with Colton in the IndyCar series. Yeah, in fact, uh, Jenna Fryer did a really nice story on him uh, this couple days ago, and it's really interesting how, uh, you know, he's not trying to be the next George Steinbrenner. He's trying to be the next Roger Penske. I thought that was kind of interesting because uh, it's certainly not easy to come into a sport, but, and, and, you know, if, if you look at, uh, which we talked about a couple weeks ago on the show. I mean, this was a, supposed to be a two-car team. They part they partnered with uh, with Harding Racing, which them and themselves had some, uh, I think, some financial issues in that. And they've been able to team together and kind of prop that team up. And they were supposed to be a two-car team. Unfortunately, as is so tough in auto racing, the number one thing is financing and get and able to put together sponsorship package and whatnot. They were unable to put together something with Pato Award. But yet they've been uh, able to overcome that, haven't they, Eddie? Well, yes, definitely. And they've brought some key people over from Andretti to help make this process a lot easier, as you can see how fast he's adapted. And he was he was a player down in St. Pete. He got knocked out of, uh, the, of qualifying for blocking. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those borderline calls. He could have been in the top six and possibly been a – possibly one there too as well so i mean we're gonna see him he's gonna he's gonna be around and i think that team i think they're just gelling and with harding and i think the single team i mean the concentration on just a single car effort is even better too as well yeah and and colton hurt is an interesting story too um you know second generation drivers you know sometimes you know people kind of look at them like you know what little you know, with one eye, like, eh, how, how did this guy actually get his job? But uh, he's been he's been dedicated to being a race car driver since he was a young kid, and uh, uh, t- and he he spent some time in Europe, didn't he, when he was a youngster? Well, and that's a very interesting story you brought up, Steve, because Brian sent him over there on his own, and he learned a lot. And I think, you know, having your father as a successful race driver is not the easiest thing and it can, it can help you in some respects of opening doors, but you have to earn your own respect on the track and be good at it. Let's face it. I mean, you have to bring money and be good. And he did it sheer on talent. And then they connected over here with George Steinbrenner and they did the Indy Lights, as we talked about last year on the show, the best 
uh, Indy Lights race at the Indianapolis 500 ever, the closest finish and probably the most exciting race I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really was. And, yeah, I thought it was interesting. They also brought this up on the broadcast where, you know, they, they, they sent Colton over the race in Europe alone. And so you're kind of thrown into the deep end of the pool. I mean, racing in Europe in itself for an American is pretty tough, but you're in a strange land. You don't really have any friends. So you basically gelled with the team and really got to learn uh, hanging out with the mechanics and that really got to learn the mechanics of the race cars, setting it up, the engineering side of it. And that certainly appears to have really helped them out, hasn't it? Well, definitely. And when I was doing this story, talking to the engineers and them telling me they've never seen a 17-year-old kid so technically advanced. So, I mean, that's where you see the rewards already right now is that reason. And it's, it's great. It's, it's, it's great to see a young man, especially Brian Herta's son, and this whole new, you know, it, it just it causes a new buzz in IndyCar racing, which we really need another good American race driver. Let's face it. I mean, I think Will Power's a great driver. There's a lot of great drivers, Joseph Newgarden, too. But we do need more, and it's great to see him up there. Yeah, it certainly is, and I think that's one thing. You know, it, it 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 we certainly need more American race car drivers in IndyCar. But I think, I think you know, people. It's it's kind of has turned a corner, hasn't it? With you know, drivers like uh, Joseph Newgarden, who's running with uh, with Penske now, and you're seeing more and more Americans. In the past, it was almost like they were looking past the American drivers to seeing that you know the latest Brazilian or European driver. But uh, I think uh, with you know guys like Graham Rahal and, and and that you know it's certainly looking good and Ryan uh, uh, Ryan Hunter Ray, you know so I think IndyCar has kind of turned a corner of that and with Colton Herta uh, and George Steinberg, you know we were just looking. I think we had this conversation. Uh, it was either you or maybe Tony a, a year or two ago, where the age of the of the car owners in racing is is getting up there. I mean, not only in the IndyCar side, but you look at uh, NASCAR. You know, NASCAR you got Rick Hendrick, Richard Childress, uh, Roger Penske, and those guys. Those are all guys that are in their seventies and eighties, and where you have a situation with uh, at least on the IndyCar side with guys like uh, uh, Junko, Junko's Racing coming in and uh, Michael Shank Racing coming in, and then now uh, George Steinbrenner, there is certainly that needed youth movement on the ownership side, isn't there? Well, definitely, and I, you really need it. I mean, let's face it. I mean, those teams are, you know, I mean, especially, <clears throat> excuse me, with the sponsorship money too. I mean, you're seeing racing being affected by, you know, the car owners slowly downsizing i mean a lot of the big name drivers nascar have retired because they're not getting the paychecks they were getting so there's a lot of younger drivers right now and you need younger car owners to go with that and i think george michael steinbrenner brings a lot to the table with just being so diversified and having you know the new york yankees as his home and that's where they introduced the team when they were ready to go racing. And I think that can just possibly be a connection to bringing the youth back to the racetrack. Because I think if you look at a bottom line, 
that's the big problem in motorsports right now. Uh, you go to a race and it's it the youth are not caring or have no interest in it. You're listening to uh, Eddie Lapine on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Eddie, uh, well, let's let's do this. Let's take a quick break, uh, and when we come back, we'll talk more racing on the final inspection and get our predictions for not only uh, Texas this weekend, but also the Formula Race, the, the Grand Prix of Bahrain, coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zockey. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove on 105.7 FM, The Fan. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show brought to you by legendary Great Lakes Dragway and David Hobbs Honda. Just a reminder, make sure if you're in the area, south side of Milwaukee, Lucky Bob's ninth annual plastic model and slot car swap meet. Plastic only, no die cast. That's tomorrow from 9 to noon at Lucky Bob's Raceway, 5822 West Forest Home, right off the expressway, right, right, right off of 894-60th exit there. It's right right there. Uh, free admission. They're going to have some food there. So you don't even have to have breakfast, Jeff. Just get in the car, go there, buy a bunch of my stuff that my wife has for sale. That's awesome. <laughs> meet, so, meet the better half of the Zaki family. And then uh, that's also for uh, – we're in Texas this weekend, all-time all time wins. Of course, Jimmy Johnson with seven. Carl Edwards has four. Kyle Busch has been on an absolute tear of late as three wins. And then don't forget Denny Hamlin, Matt Kenseth. Burton, Tony Stewart, Harvick, and Greg Biffle both have two wins each. And then we have uh, qualifying. Who's uh, who's our top ten in qualifying, Joe? Top ten. Jimmy Johnson's on the pole. William Byron, Chase Elliott, Daniel Suarez, Austin Dillon, uh, Dillon starts fifth, Mr. Personality. Denny Hamlin, Daniel Hemrick, Joey Logano, Ty Dillon, and Bubba Wallace. There's your top ten. And then in final practice today, this morning, they, they completed it just before we got on the air. Denny Hamlin was your quickest with Kyle Busch. So we got the two Toyotas up on uh, the, the or the two fastest. Then Ryan Blaney, who I like, uh, and uh, Kurt Busch is uh, fourth. And then Jimmy Johnson, who got the pole, has been fast all week, is fifth. So it'll be interesting to see. In fact, let's go do our predictions. Eddie Lapine joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. Who do you like in Texas? Yeah, I mean, you got to go with Jimmy. I Jimmy, mean, I like that. Oh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. He's been quick all week. Uh, I, I like uh, Ryan Blaney. I picked him a couple times already this year. He's been quick. He just hasn't been able to put the whole package together. So I'm going to go with Ryan Blaney. Earlier today, we had Dennis Michelson on. He had taken Joey Logano. Jeff Orlowski, who do you like? I like a first-time winner, Daniel Ooh. Hemrick. Wow. Uh, number eight. We'll see how that works. Uh, Formula One is in Bahrain. we got a Ferrari front row, Eddie. Charles Leclerc, one of, our, one of the uh, fan favorites here on the show, is on the poll. Who do you like down there in Bahrain? I, I told you, watch out for this kid. He's already rattled Vettel. I like Char Leclerc. Yeah, so do I. I'm taking Leclerc, too. All right, give me Kevin Magnuson. Kevin Magnuson in the U.S. Haas entry. Yes, who sir. Who qualified sixth. I would love to see that kid on the podium, Eddie. What do you think? Oh, I mean, that would be they're, great. They're almost, if things to, yeah, yeah, things go their way, they, they're, they're, they're close. They're right, I mean. They're doing a lot better than we thought they were going to do this year, and uh, they've been fast off the bat. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Haas U.S. team in Formula One. 
Sally, we are running out of time. I'd like to thank everybody that came on the show today. Dennis Michelson and, of course, Tony DeZeno making his triumphant return. And, Eddie, thank you once again for being on the show. And we'll look for uh, David next week, who is a bit under the weather. Thank you for listening to the Final Inspection Show. And don't forget to vote Brett Moffat, yay or nay, on our Facebook page. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.